0: A popular question we get asked regularly is, how do I know if my customers are happy with our relationship? There's probably no better way to identify how to build better relationships with your clients than by using our Mindset Survey tool. The Sales Mindset Survey is a free-to-use tool that is revolutionizing the sales performance industry. This survey utilizes competing questions and the user's perceptions of themselves to identify just how well they truly perform. Are you manipulative or authentic, supplier or client-centric, complacent or proactively creative, overtly arrogant, or tactfully audacious? There is no right or wrong, and the survey will only be helpful as you are honest. But then why did you go one step further? We also offer a 360 degree perspective that allows you to share the survey with your peers and colleagues, as well as your customers to gain even deeper understanding of how you sell. Do your customers see you in the same light of how you see yourself? Becoming a better salesperson has never been an easy task, but the journey can be made much quicker and more effective with the right tools. By focusing on those problem areas, you will join the top 10% of sales performers in the industry and make your way to the winner's circle. Why did you give the Sales Mindset Survey a go today? The results may just surprise you. The link to the survey is in the show notes. Now, on to the episode. I think
1: just whilst we wait for anyone else that joins us, um, please put in chat where you're from and what you're excited to talk about um, or listen to today. I guess whilst we do that, a bit of context is always helpful. Um so we started these Ask Me Anything sessions in April. And with like all good intentions, um, I guess things get sidetracked along the day and with the busyness or work schedules and so on. Um, but we want to bring them back. So this is the first one we've done in 2023. Um, and we really want to engage with, with people like yourselves, um, people in the sales profession. So we're all about professionalizing the role of sales as we are passionate about it, we believe it deserves it. Of course, our way at Consalia is through work integrated sales education. Um, And Ben, especially, I know you you know us uh, from that experience. Um, So it's great to have you with us. We're expecting a few more people to join. And I'm sure we'll have some students join us as well. Um, so we're we're going to be having these sessions at the end of every month. Um you know, we're a friendly audience. And I think I'm very excited because I always like putting Phil through his paces and asking him difficult questions. Um, and I encourage everyone else to do the same, I think. you know, he's he's written the book. so let's let's test him. And um, so, yeah, (laughs) if we, if you can, I mean, our ask is that, um, you know, you help us uh, share with your friends and colleagues um, just to get the conversation going. So, um, you know, we, we want to, we want to talk about sales and it's, it's not that often. I think we find that you get the opportunity working in sales where you can kind of sit back and, and really kind of throw out questions to a like-minded group of peers um, to kind of solve any problems. Um, And so prior to this webinar, uh, we've had a few questions sent through to us um, so we can kind of kick off with those questions. Um, But please, everyone else who's on this, uh, on the webinar, please submit any questions on the chat functionality and we'll do our best to go through them. Anyway, I, I guess I'm in a privileged position because I'm, I'm sort of facilitating this discussion. So please direct any questions to Phil. And um, <laughs> I know Phil might want to put me on the spot too, but I thought as the facilitator, I, I would ask the first question. And this is really because of something that um, I'm sure we've all been hearing a lot of, which is around the impact AI is having. Um, and in particular, Chat GPT. So, that whole welcome introductory note wasn't written by me, it was actually written by Chat GPT. And it spurred my question, which is, Phil, how do you think the influence of AI is going to affect those in in sales in a a selling role? And the second part to my question is, could
0: AI take over what a salesperson does? Thank you, Will. And um, I was going to throw that question back at you as well, but um, I won't. I'll I'll give it an answer. I, I mean, I think that sales is, um, approaching a kind of new frontier in in many ways and i i, I think uh, traditionally we've seen um the kind of sales systems and tools that are supporting the salesperson very much being designed i'm talking here about crm and and other tools you know designed to serve management and i, I, I and and sales people have you know seen these as a as a tool to actually make their life more complicated and more difficult, and I've not come across many organisations who have said to me, "Do you know something? You know, our CRM is wonderful. And I just love spending time keying in information and data to it." And I think, I think what's exciting about the future in terms of technology is that we're we're seeing that there are tools now being designed and built which put the salesperson very much at the centre. Of their focus, so um, th- these are the tools that can enable uh, a salesperson to better predict you know how much income they may be getting from their territories, or better respond to uh, questions or about an RFP that may be issued. Um, but uh, so no, I think we're I think we're really at an exciting point, and I think you know we we we've got kind of two points of view about um chat gpt um the one is that it's an it's going to be an incredibly useful sales tool in the sense of making it much quicker for salespeople to you know draft emails or do research i mean it's quite unbelievable the power that this tool has to 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 get data together from different sources um, but I mean, we are all obviously concerned from an educational point of view about um issues of plagiarism, and to what extent will these technologies start to kind of uh, move into the area of manipulation and not being authentic, which is one of the key sort of values and principles of selling that that so much of our sales um, approach is kind of based on. So I I, th- I think it's going to be an incredibly exciting uh, future. Actually, I think we've just seen the start of it, and I think it's really going to revolutionise how salespeople sell. I think your your second question was: Is it going to make the role of sales redundant? What hmm. you're saying is that the role of marketing is going to become redundant as well. I'm looking at Eddie here, listening in <laughs> as well. So, no, I I think it's going to make uh, make life. Much easier. I think we're going to become more productive in in uh, how we do things, leveraging these kind of technologies. Uh, so, no, I'm I'm feeling optimistic about it. In fact,
1: okay. So we we don't need to all find new jobs just yet.
0: I don't think so. I mean, I remember being on a on an airplane traveling back from. I think it was funny enough. I think in Budapest where. You know where you recently had your long weekend, Will. And I, I remember sitting next to this uh, this lady from um, I think she was working for McKinsey. And when I told her what I did for a living, this is going back 20, 25 years. And I said I was in sales, and she said, "Why on earth would you want to be in sales? You know, you know, it, uh, sales is going to become redundant soon." And so, um, and and she was talking about the role of inside sales and taking away from field sales. So. You know, and here we are 20 years later, you know, still sales as a percentage of population is about, you know, about 5% of a nation's population are involved in the sales kind of capacity, either in retail sales or B2B sales. So it's still a massively important area of what we do. But no, I, I think salespeople are going to be enabled actually by the technologies around them. You know, there may be some changes, you know, to the way sales teams are structured. Um... But I think that it's going to help us do more with the resources we've got. You know, there may be some reduction of headcount. I'm not sure. I think it's still early days, really. I mean, I I think it
1: um, will impact on salespeople in in, in the sense of the the skills that they may need to um, develop. You know how to how to leverage technologies, how to look at data, how to analyze it, how to um, how to get the most out of say AI in order to meet customer requirements better. Um, because I think the expectation from customers is also going to shift.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think it's it's uh, we've always um, kind of talked about you know what are some of the key skills and competencies required of salespeople and sales leaders. And, you know, we talk about reflective practice um, and we have, you know, we have positioned reflective practice in this world, which is changing so quickly um, as being, you know, potentially one of the biggest, most important competencies required of salespeople, you know, how to make sense of what's going on around them. And I think that, I think you're right. I think that you know, these kind of AI tools um, will encourage people to reflect more upon the data that they're able to get hold of very quickly, and then make better and informed decisions. So I think this is going to make that particular competence even more important, you know, kind of moving forward, slightly easier to do, because you don't have to spend so much time researching, you know, source material, you know, it's at your fingertips. So you can spend more time thinking about what what sense to make of it and what your response is going to be as a consequence of looking at the data. Yeah. So I think, but but I think we're all at a bit of a early stage learning curve on it. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it how it um, sort of paves the way for for a new future.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for for answering my question. I don't want to hijack the webinar, just talking about AI. Um, I know that was one of your pet (laughs) topics, Will, so we
0: could move on to Ben's question, I think. I can't quite see. Let me just have a look
1: at it. So we've got (laughs) Ben Long, who's the client partner at QA. Hi, Ben. Um, It's great that you're here. And let's meet up again soon. Um, He's got a couple of questions, but he would love to get your thoughts on the first one. How do you recommend businesses slash teams split account management and new business development? A lot of sales roles are, are a blend of account management, sales, then internal team management. For me, sales and account management are two different things. And those that excel at new business may not have the mindset to be an excellent account manager. That's an interesting question.
0: Uh, ben, thanks. Uh, thanks for that question. So I, I think it, and, and there's been some interesting LinkedIn commentary about, on it as well. Um, I, I can't remember on, on a similar question. Uh, one
2: uh,
0: was it Ian um, Ian Mer, Merhag. I may have pronounced and mispronounced his surname. Was kind of believing that there's not a difference between the two roles. And, you know, no matter whether you're an account manager or a new business, you need to have that hunting mindset that's important for new business. And I, I thought that was quite an interesting take um, that he had. And um, so, so coming back to the first bit of your question about how do you recommend businesses teams split account management and new business development, what I've seen happen uh, in, in a lot of the accounts we have is, a, is some kind of um, sales portfolio analysis where you start to segment, you, you go through a segmentation process where you start to look at um, the accounts on, on two sort of axes. One is potential to grow and the other axis is sales volume. And then Within those two axes, you, you're able to sort of group accounts into those accounts which have high revenue and high potential for growth. And then you've got those accounts that have high volume, but mid level, um, if, if you like, ability to grow. And then you've got some accounts which are high level, but they actually just want a transactional relationship. They don't particularly want an account manager to look after them. It's it's a transactional focus. I mean, I'm simplifying the segmentation process here a bit. I think that it's it's important that we start to consider the concept of lifetime value of an account over a period of time, and that there are going to be some accounts that are massively important to you that uh, may not be buying so much from you in the fu- in the future. Um, sorry, in the current time frame, um, but are going to be hugely, you know, potential growth accounts in the future. And I think that if you had this um, account management, new business development, kind of, if if you didn't have those structures, you know, in place, you run the risk of having a rather opportunistic approach to looking after accounts. And you run the risk of, not being around to support those accounts when they really need your support moving forward. So my, my take on it is that it, it is a practice that I I would recommend, that you would separate the two, um, but that you would, through white space analysis, have um, this new business development opportunities within your existing accounts that that, that would be the focus of your attention as opposed to completely new logos. Um, but how you manage your account, I mean, it's, it's a costly investment to put into account management. So you need to be very careful about balancing the cost of sale and cost of support with the amount of revenue that you're actually generating from the account. I don't know if I've answered Ben's question. I see we've got loads of questions here. So. I'm I'm very happy for this to be conversational by the way and me not just giving my answer but I'd be interested in in what Ben's point of view is so I did, can we allow Ben to take part Eddie and uh, it'd be good to to have Ben on online as well and I see Nigel's asked a question or made a comment Hi Ben Hi Ben afternoon
3: awesome. awesome. Yeah thank you for the answer really interesting and I guess the cost of sale piece is yeah, it's one of those things which comes up when you view salespeople going out and selling and getting those sort of hunting new logos and that type of yeah. thing. And then managing the sale post-sale is the thing which I'm trying to balance within my team in terms of who is going to be doing the account management and who do yeah. I want to go out and actively sell. And I've found that the mindsets that people have in terms of new business sales is entirely different to what I see as an account manager. Yeah. So balancing the roles with the person is something which I'm trying to sort of do as well as doing the white spacing exercises with the accounts.
1: Have you considered or have you done a review with your team around values and values alignment and to see um, what skill sets tend to be um, better positioned for account management or for new business kind of? Uh, development
3: so we've started that process we've not done it formally okay uh, but it is something which i'm going to be doing soon because i do think that when people like i said in the question they sort of they go into a a broad a more generic sales role where they are selling into existing accounts they're also trying to gain new logos and they're also trying to account mm-hmm. manage whilst managing the internal mm-hmm. politics of working in sales in a company so it's quite a broad 360 role which they have Whereas I think that, and I think that this is being seen more in the industry is that there's people that can be responsible for hunting new logos and then handing it over to an account management team and those that manage it post-sale. But yeah, I do think doing the sort of mindset surveys and things like that would definitely come in handy because you can understand them as people and then trying to learn to the roles. Whereas I think at the moment, it's the role first and then trying to squash somebody into that role after.
4: Hmm.
0: I think you may be interested in. You know, maybe we could send it across to Ben. Is we have a segmentation analysis uh, sort of framework that that may be quite helpful as well for you, Ben. Yeah. Uh, to to consider how you might segment the different accounts and then um, that'd be great. And yeah. then how you support those accounts. So it's a bit difficult for me to explain on you know it's a, it's sort of a matrix that yeah so that might be helpful as well. I know Nigel has probably got a point of view on it as well. I know Nigel's asked a slightly different question, but um I don't know nigel whether whether you could uh, share your point of view on this particular topic.
4: Uh, no pleasure um well i've seen I've seen both work um yeah so yeah. It, 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 as david Brock would say it it depends um, which hides uh, an awful lot but I, I think. And I always revert back to this. What does your customer want? Mm. Yeah. If you're going to upset a customer by taking somebody who he's got the relationship away with or her away with, then always listen to the customer. You know, again, obviously feel you're right with regards cost, et cetera. And what's the value of the, the account, et cetera. But I always revert back to the customer.
0: Yes. On your, on your point, Nigel, I, 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 um... I was working with uh, Compaq um, before they were acquired by Hewlett-Packard. And um, uh, I was working with one of the Compaq account managers that was supporting Vodafone. And um, the Compaq account manager had done an amazing job to to change the relationship with Vodafone uh, from being pretty bad to being very good. And then when HP um, took over Compaq, they... Decided that they would put the HP account manager in as the lead on the account, and uh, and Vodafone basically told them told them to bugger off, <laughs> you know? and it I, and it was all based on the relationship. So I think your point about you know often customers have a strong point of view about um, uh, about the sort of people that they want to sort of support them and how they want to support them. So I I, I think you raised such a good point you know, in terms of using the customer customer feedback to influence how you then decide to support them. Um, but uh, that's great. Well, can, can we come on to the question that you asked, Nigel? Um, if that's okay, we can yeah. move on to that.
1: Yeah, so for anyone that hasn't seen, Nigel just put in chat, um, we talk about our industry as needing to be viewed as a
0: profession. Is this realistic or will revenue always rule? It's quite quite interesting. This, I mean, we've. I think many of us it, it, operating in the sort of sales consulting or development role, sort of, and also sales leaders have been um, wanting sales sales image, you know, to to change and and for it to be truly regarded um, as a as a profession. And I I, I think part of that. From our point of view is what well what is it, you know, what's the difference between um a salesperson being a professional and in a profession? Um and a lot of this in our view is 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 around education and standards and ethical practice and and having an underpinning um in sales in that area. And I think the ISP and in in, in in the UK is, is playing quite an important role as a non-for-profit body, you know, to represent the ethical standards of sales practice. And I think some of the initiatives that the government has taken, uh, in terms of having sales recognized as a profession has been a big step forward, you know, and, and, and we're certainly now, you know, compared to even five years ago, seeing, uh, a significant increase in clients that we're working with um, wanting to embark on a professional, you know, a degree, if you like, in B two B sales or in 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 sales leadership, which simply didn't really exist as it does now. Um, all those all those years ago. So I think that I think that we're seeing. I think. It, whizzing pockets of it and you know it's i don't think it's mainstream yet but i think there's been massive steps forward um but your second part of the question is quite interesting because i think that you know like in as we're entering this sort of recessionary period that we're in now and 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 the focus on revenue is also important uh, and sales leaders and companies are so focused on revenue generation That sometimes the practices that are encouraged by the organization for people to meet, you know, quotas and targets means that they may move more into, um, what's the word, a slightly manipulative form of selling and therefore tarnishes the kind of image of salespeople. And I think customers spot this. You know, to your comment about customers, they know when the pressure's on. They see different types of behaviour, which, which unfortunately, just um, reconfirms the poor image. I think has been in sales. But what what what's your point of view, Nigel, on this? What what how do you see it? It it,
4: it it's a fascinating area and one I've banged on about for years um, from. Going into schools and talking about a career in sales and wanting to actually sell as a yeah. career rather than just like the vast majority of us fall into it by yeah. accident, if you like. Um, you know, I don't know of many people who leave school wanting to become a salesperson. Yeah. You know, an engineer, yes, teacher, doctor, yes, but not not a salesperson, which is a great shame. But yeah. the, the the kind of conundrum that I have when I'm looking at all this and having worked in apprenticeships as well with regards right. to sales exec level four and IT technical sales, yeah. is that apprentices can be excellent learners, turn up to all the coaching sessions, right, work submitted on time of a high caliber, but who can't sell. And the flip right. side of that, is people who are awful learners, don't turn up onto the coaching sessions, their portfolios aren't good or of the required standard, but who are promoted within three months as account managers because they can sell. Or the perception yeah. is they're, they're creating revenue so they can sell. And I think this is the conundrum that they're creating revenue, but are they doing it in the right way? Okay where sales managers will look at it and say, well, actually, Nigel, I don't give a damn that they're not doing it the way we want them to do it. They're creating revenue. And this is where I think that there's a conundrum of, yeah, you know, can that ever be seen as a profession?
0: I suppose in the same way that you can have you know, lawyers go through all the legal training, yet you can get lawyers who... You know, bad lawyers and good lawyers. And I, I guess the same with, with, with doctors. So there's always the risk that people, you know, could, could potentially cross, uh, cross the line. Um, and I think it's amazing what you've done in terms of going to schools, by the way, and sort of um, raising the profile of sales as a, a profession. We've, I, I don't know whether we've seen that so much through the apprenticeship. I'm looking at Will and, and Eddie here as well i don't, i don't know if we've seen that um so much to be the the case i think we have 90% maybe more of people who start on the level 6 um degree apprenticeships actually completing and uh, and and we actually have seen quite a lot of evidence of those going through the program we've done incredibly well there was one 18 year old i know from one of the tech companies who closed a, a million do- was it a million dollar deal or something? And it was just, that's just one one case. Um, but we have got data from some of the clients we have about the uh, actually general sales performance of people coming through the apprenticeship being just 2% um, behind the field sales teams that they've already had in place after... You know, three years of being on on the program. so we're 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 seeing some quite encouraging evidence that it is possible to take some of these younger people and actually put them through a you know an apprenticeship program and uh, and produce um you know some pretty good results. I think where we've sometimes found found the challenge on the apprenticeship program is the expectations that people have once they got to the end of their program um is to move into account management or you know more senior positions and those positions simply aren't available for them when they feel you know so sometimes we've seen a slight you know disappointment that they've not been able to um secure you know their next job if you like within those that have put them on that apprenticeship contract and so they've left and and sort uh sought opportunities elsewhere but I don't know. I'm a, uh, Nigel. I'm I'm just an optimist on this one. <laughs> I think yeah. I just think we've just got to keep on and keep that flag waving. And um, you know, we we hosted a brilliant event at the London Stock Exchange this year, and we had UCAS there. You know, talking about how UCAS could you know they a million you know young people go through their system almost every year and. And they're now doing exercises to promote the opportunity of sales and apprenticeships through what UCAS can do to make people more aware. And they've got some very interesting tools that people can know whether or not they're suited to a career in sales at school, which, uh, um, you know, which are re- really good. So I think that, you know, by joining up with organizations like UCAS, you know, um, the ISP and all of us in the field, um, we can promote the idea of cells as a, as a profession. So it's still very small and embryonic, I think, but it's growing, you know, we're, we're quite encouraged by it. I've seen a note from Eddie saying, we've got some other questions that we should maybe focus on and, uh, as well, unless you want, I, I didn't know, Nigel, do you want to
4: no, as I say, I'm an optimist as well, and and, <laughs> and it's it it's fantastic uh, to see young people actually realize that you know they can make a a career, out yeah. of, you know, being credible and passionate about something, being relevant, being interesting and timely. and suddenly you see the lights going on. yeah, and even you know, I very quickly i I get very fed up walking into these coffee establishments um, two or three times a week and being asked what you want to drink and they put your name on a mug and you pay for it at the end and and you walk past a line of confectionery and nobody takes the time to say, you know, you've done your drink order. Have you had breakfast yet this morning? Mm. Now, no, I haven't. Why? Because we've just got fresh croissant out of the oven. Could I interest you in a croissant? Now, you know... T- even if you're at that level of a kind of customer service relationship you can still sell and increase profit and get something more out of the job than just asking somebody how they'd like their coffee
0: yeah
4: so selling as i say selling to me is everything and it yeah. plays such a part of making you know even as i say going down to a customer service role yeah. it can be so much more enjoyable by by pushing yeah, I'm pulling, but as I say, it's um, it's it's just great to see youngsters. You know, I, I went I went into <clears throat> um a, a sports place in Barnstable last year and uh, buying my son a pair of uh, walking boots to go across Exmoor, and uh, the young girl behind the counter said, "Would you like socks with those?" And I said, "That's a fantastic question." And you know, yes, I'd 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 forgotten I do need socks. Now, if everybody did that in business, you know, we would be um, competing with the other countries in Europe rather than uh, (laughs) sitting down saying, isn't time's tough and uh, aren't we afraid? The nice thing about it was, was I didn't recognise her, which was bad of me, but she'd actually been in my session the year before.
0: Oh, well, that's fantastic.
4: (laughs) So I remember, which which was (laughs) great, which was great.
0: Yeah, you must have
1: taught
4: her well, Nigel. It got her a sock sale and more commissions. So yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> great, That's Well, great. Thank you. We we've actually we've got a um a question that was emailed to us before the start of this webinar. Yeah. So, uh, from Lee Ashton. Oh um, yes, yeah. he said, with all the research available, that growth mindset, well-being, and the happiness increasing performance at work. Why do you think organisations still focus primarily and sometimes solely on skills training?
0: Yeah, so that's interesting uh, an interesting question. I think there is a lot of, um, what's the word, misconceptions about training that sits quite often with senior sales leaders. I think they've come through perhaps schools of Training and development based on what has happened to them in the past, and that um, you know that they've been on skills training, and they've you know they've, they've become um, sort of very committed to particular sales methodologies around spin, it might be, or it might be solution selling, or, or one of these other methodologies that are around, and so I think that. And a lot of the decisions about what sort of training should people undertake will come from the personal experience that sales leaders have have had themselves. And that takes time. You know, that takes time to to kind of shift. Um, and so that's I think that's one of the reasons that um that that people still focus on skills training. but i think I think there's also, from my experience in the academic world, is when you start to look at, um, the research that's done by sales academics into into sales practice, a lot of the frameworks that the academics themselves research tend to be more behavioural than they're more around mindset and values, and I don't think that helps either. So, um, Lee, I, I don't know what to say, but you know, I, I I still am amazed at where people's mindsets are. Even down to the way they issue RFPs and and we ourselves, you know, have found ourselves responding to a request for proposals, which is clearly a skills-based kind of solution that the customer's looking for. And yet every, every sinew in our body knows that, you know, that unless you get the mindsets right, unless the values and belief systems are right, it doesn't really matter what you do on skills um, it's, it's not going to, it's not going to work. And so it's, uh, yes, it, it, it's an education process and, uh, it takes time, you know, to kind of shift people's perspectives. Um, but like, uh, I mentioned, I, I live in hope <laughs> you know, that, uh, that, that people will recognize the importance of mindset, and I, th- I think we're seeing more of it in 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 Harvard Business Reviews. I, you know, we're we're seeing more and more reference to McKinsey's of this world talking about the importance of mindset. And so the conversation is moving a- away from competencies and skills development into more: Have we got the right mindset of 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 uh, salespeople? You know, in inside the teams. I'm a great believer: that the mindset is right, the behaviors will follow. Um, and they will themselves develop the skills in that area. So, yeah, I don't know if I've answered your question, Lee, but I, I hope I have. <laughs> it was a
1: great question, Lee, and um, hopefully Phil's answered it. I, I've noticed we've got Greg Keaveny, um who's joined us. I wonder if I can encourage Greg uh, and actually Philip Chu, I've noticed. Oh, you're, great.
0: You're here too. Got he two ha- very experienced. Uh, People, my goodness, we should have you answering these questions, not me. Absolutely. So, I mean, if you have any questions for Phil through his paces, please do, please do uh, just put them into chat. Could we ask, uh, can we ask Phil? I haven't spoken to Phil for a long time. I'd be delighted to, to see if Phil would be happy to um, kind of get involved in the conversation. Sorry, Phil, I think we've certainly put you on the spot. <laughs> hello phil so nice to see you (laughs) it's been a while yeah that's great um i don't know if you've been listening to any of the questions that have come through and i think you'd be very well placed to give your you know your point of view maybe on some of the questions that have been asked so i could let you choose which which topic (laughs) is of interest (laughs)
2: they're they're, they're all interesting i absolutely agree on the mindset piece okay Mindset. mindset is fundamental Right um, skills do tend to follow, but, but, uh, but there is a, there, I wonder if it's people avoid, it's a difficult conversation to have with people, you know, the whole coaching thing, yeah. rather than telling. And, and that, that's a challenge for a lot of managers. So is it easier to, to try and pick something that's like a skill rather than a mindset? Is it something they're avoiding? Um, Actually, that's
0: a, yeah, that's a really, that, rather than yeah.
2: Work really. You have to work really hard with these people to change mindset. If, if yeah. mindset
0: is, actually, that's, but, a, that's a that's a really good point. Yeah, I think we tend to, um, you know, particularly with our, some of the leadership programs that we run, we we talk about sort of transactional management systems and transformational management systems and. Okay. And uh, there's no doubt that trying to shift people's mindsets um, can sometimes be a challenge, particularly if you're sort of working with people who've been in sales for many years, they really don't want to change yeah. what they do. So I think you raise a really a really good point.
2: Uh, yeah. And, and I think, yeah, yeah, an extension of that is where do you start the program? If you're, if, you're, yeah, do, do you know, if you're putting a program together, you start start with the leaders, and the leaders aren't yeah. board. Not making that work all the way down. Things going to fail. Yeah, so I think I think um, the mindset of the managers, and the mindset of the leaders, becomes even more yeah. important. Are yeah. be really prepared to put the hard yards into coach?
0: So you have mentioned coaching a few times. So is, is that you know one of the magic ingredients? Do you think for you know, achieving transformation is sort of having a coaching uh, sort um, of culture within organizations to help transform or improve. Yeah,
2: I don't want to don't get into how do you define coaching because there is that whole spectrum of talent. So, but you have to do all of it. Um, yeah. What it is is it's basically a commitment to your people um, rather than being committed to politics internally or. I want to get involved in customer engagement. It's, you really want to be engaged in engagements with your people. And if you perceive your, or take the view that your sales team are your customers and treat them like customers, that is the focus of your, of your time and effort. Yeah. Uh, and then the sort of coaching follows because you are having conversations which are necessarily about how can we help you do better? How can we help you with your customer? Engagement? Yeah. So. So the one follows the other, it's, it's that mindset of you know, what's your, my priority here? Um, and it has to be the individuals and the team. Yeah,
0: that's great. I wonder if Greg, uh, Greg's been a bit quiet so far. It's unlike Greg to to be quiet. From uh, Greg, are you somewhere in Dublin somewhere, in Ireland, I believe? Hey, Phil, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Greg, how are you doing?
5: Good, thanks, good, good. Very relieved after handing in my last paper at the weekend.
0: <laughs> yeah, so so for others' benefit, Greg is uh, sort of halfway through his master's program. So he's done the coaching module, Phil. <laughs> uh, Greg, you've been listening in. Um, yeah. We've had a number of different questions on the call. Is there any any, any comments? Because you, you play a big role in SAP and in the whole sort of sales enablement field.
5: Yeah. Yeah, it's um th- for for me the biggest learning, like having been in sales and having been around sales for a number of years, I really think it comes down to. I agree with many of the points that have been made already. Obviously, but I really think it it comes down to commitment, the level of commitment for um the salesperson, the sales manager, anybody involved around the sales team, um, and then that commitment has to be broken down into whether it's commitment to making the revenue or commitment to keeping the customer happy or commitment to somewhere in between the two, you know, but the level of commitment has to be really um, clear and made very clear to anybody involved in sales Mm -hmm. because it's just not easy. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, some people get into it for the wrong reasons. And um, I think that's, that's, Something that really needs to be communicated from management, you know, Mm. improvement, interviewers, every, all, all all the way through the process that they, uh, they ensure that whoever they bring into the the field is under no illusion and they're, and they're really clear on what's expected.
0: Have you seen, uh, um, uh, maybe sort of putting you under this on the spot here, but have you seen a difference between, um, you know different age groups, and that word commitment, and um, you know whether whether their commitment is you know to the organization, to the purpose of the organization, or you know, yeah. have you in any differences across the different age profiles of people in sales?
5: No, I haven't actually. I've seen I've seen it good and bad in all age profiles. I would say. Okay. Some people just understand it. Uh, more quickly than others, um, right, and maybe that comes down to the whole self awareness piece and how how well they actually know themselves before they get involved and are asked to do something by you know uh, a new a new company or a new sales manager, etc so yeah, no I've seen good and bad on all age profiles and and uh, no 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 correlation really. and I know we hear about the millennials on the Gen X gen Z all, all the time, but I think those behaviors and differences can be kind of, um, it's a little bit black and white the way it's sold to us. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I, I know that you know, there's a, a lot of uh, discussions that are emerging around sort of purpose-led organizations and, you know, to what extent do um, does that drive commitment, you know, sort of people being aligned to an organization, not just for, you know, what they do, but you know, what, what is the higher purpose of the organization?
5: Yeah, that definitely helps without a doubt. Yeah. I've seen that. um, Yeah. So, so, so newer newcomers to sales, let's say in the last 10 years or so have, have, you know, an idea in the back of their head of what the old salesman used to look like, or the snake oil salesperson, And they don't want to be that for sure. And they want to understand that there's a, there is a, a value system in place in the company that they're working for and whether they agree with those values or not. That's certainly, uh, that's certainly more popular these days.
0: Yeah.
5: Yeah. I've noticed that. And, and it does, it, it, you know, it helps them, it helps to motivate them if they feel that they're aligned to the values of that company for sure. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's great. Okay. So, um, I, how are we doing I, with the question? Ah,
1: yes. So, um, from Nigel, Nigel said, "I spoke with thirty-eight sales managers last week, all of whom pointed to a personal trait as to why they have been successful. Do you think not knowing the why then limits how and what they coach?"
0: I do. Yeah, I think a lot of successful people that that I've met um, find it difficult sometimes to distill. You know what? What was it that made them? successful in a in a sort of structured way in a structured way and I think that without you know without having a, a point of view about uh, the kind of things that have made made you successful is going to um, potentially limit your ability to be able to share experience but but that said I think people are so different and I think people have all got different strengths and you know what may have worked well with one sales manager may not necessarily have been their sort of killer, their killer app or their, you know, their, um, for, for, for another. Um, but I, so I think it, it helps provide a point of a point of reference, but I I come back a bit to what Philip was, um, kind of sharing with us earlier on. Um, if you come from, A point of view where you know this is how you did things and this is what drove you to be successful you you're perhaps going to be more of a mentor than a coach you know a coach you know a coaching approach is is going to be slightly different where you're actually going to be working with individuals to kind of surface um solutions to to problems or challenges that they face and i think that you know there may be a a point in time where being a mentor is is more important than being a coach. But um I think the danger with just seeing life through one lens is is that you become too biased and you 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 miss uh, other opportunities to to grow and develop people and and exploring other ways of perhaps being even more successful than you've been because you you know are slightly blinkered in your approach. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a really important question. It's one question that we start with at the beginning of our master's programs. This this kind of really define defining what it is that makes you. It's part of being the authentic leader. Um, but from our experience on that program is the extent to which people do that, you know, and you know, there often people don't spend much time, you know, drilling down to that level of detail. Mm. But I think it's certainly a great place to start. Well, Thank you, thank you for the
1: questions, Phil. How how do you feel? You've had quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> questions well, I'm delighted that that,
0: um, that Nigel joined us and Phil joined us, and uh, I know I've been communicating with with Nigel on LinkedIn, so it's very nice to have the face to face contact with Nigel and Phil. It's so nice to see you after so many years. I can't remember the last time it was at I think when you when you're at Reuters, perhaps, and uh, at Canary Wharf we last met. <laughs> Um, so I'm delighted. And also, of course, having Ben and Greg on the call as well. So it's it's really great that you and hopefully this community that we have with uh, AMAs, we can expand upon and grow as the years progress. So I hope you join us again, uh, if you can. And um, yeah, it's great to get the benefit of your experience as well as for me to share a few sort of humble thoughts as well.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you all. And thanks for your participation. And um, now we can go for lunch.
0: Great. Thank you. (laughs) Cheerio. Bye bye. Bye bye. -bye. (laughs)